Good morning, my Patriot friends. Welcome to My Patriot Brain, the show that unleashes all that freedom and liberty locked away in my synapses. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Monday, November 6, 2023. I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone. Thank you for downloading this episode. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week every Monday and Thursday morning on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also available on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow My Patriot Brain on Spotify and share the show with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your enemies, and anyone else you can think of who needs inside My Patriot Brain. You can go to my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com, uh, for free content. At my website, you can also find my book, Implicit Biases in the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics, which is available exclusively online at barnesandnoble.com. You can follow me now on Locals, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, you can follow me on True Social. You can follow me on Rumble. I am at CSPsychOK on True Social and Locals. I am the conservative social psychologist on Rumble. You can search locals.com for my Patriot Brain community, and you can see posts related to the show and engage with each other. Uh, you can click on the link to my True Social account where I post articles to, related to the show. Uh, you can find that link on my website. Uh, I don't have a link for the locals on my website yet, but I do have a link for the True Social. So locals.com, you'd have to go to that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Major League Baseball news, the Texas Rangers were World Series champions still. Uh, they won it last Wednesday night, uh, and they are still the champions. Uh, it was interesting on the radio, listening to the ESPN feed um, for some of the games. Jessica Mendoza does the is one of the booth people that does the uh, ESPN radio uh, World Series coverage. She does baseball coverage, and it's it's interesting. She's you know, I wasn't necessarily super receptive to having a female uh, calling sports um, years ago, but. She's done it for so long. She does such a good job that um, it was. It, I was several games in listening to the radio parts of it before I could watch it on TV. You know, wherever I was at uh, during the week, uh, and I was several games into it before I realized, like, wait a minute, she, I forgot Jessica Mendoza. She's a female, right? I don't even think about it because she's really good at what she does. Of course, she played um, very high level softball here in the United States, and and she's been a, a baseball broadcaster now for a long time. But she does a really good job with it. Uh, and so, anyway, I thought that was interesting that you know talk about women's rights and things like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of women calling a lot of different sports things, but I will say this, Jessica Mendoza does a great job and she has done a good job for a long time. Uh, so much so that I don't even think about it um, when, when she's calling a game, baseball game. Uh, all right, so college football, and maybe that's because I listen to, you know, I follow softball as well. Uh, and so, you know, hearing her call in the softball booth, uh, it just seems natural when she's doing baseball too. Uh, college football, News, uh, AP top five rankings, Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Ohio State number three, Florida State number four, and Washington is number five. This past weekend, the number nine University of Oklahoma Sooners lost to the number 22 Oklahoma State Cowboys 27 to 24 in the last Bedlam game, regularly scheduled Bedlam game. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, West Virginia plays at number 17 OU, 6 p.m. Central Time on Fox. OU is a 12 and a half point favorite. I don't feel like OU's earned being a 12-and-a-half-point favorite over anybody, but we'll see. Uh, Texas Tech this past weekend on Thursday night defeated TCU 35-28. to Go Red Raiders, way to knock, notch a win. Uh, this coming weekend, Texas Tech plays at number 19, Kansas, uh, 11 a.m. Central Time on FS1. Texas Tech is a four-point favorite. Uh, that can't be right. Kansas has got to be favored in that game. I, I must have I jotted that one down wrong. Either way, I would, I would favor Kansas in that game. Uh, this past weekend, Dallas Cowboys uh, lost 28-23 to the Philadelphia Eagles in a division rivalry game. Uh, Giants, next coming up next weekend, Giants play at the Cowboys. Uh, 325 Central Time, Sunday on Fox. 
Dallas is a 15 and a half point favorite. Uh, that's a pretty big spread for an NFL game. So we'll see how that plays out. I, 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 I'm not a better, but if, if you're going out to place bets, uh, 15.5, 15 and a half is a lot of points, uh, particularly for an interdivision game. So a heads up on that. Uh, so Steve, speaking of sports, Steve Cortez, a former Trump advisor, posted on True Social uh, yesterday. He said, good morning. And today in 1994, George Foreman knocked out Michael Moore to claim the heavyweight belt. At 45, he was the oldest oldest boxing boxing world champion ever, regaining the title two de- decades after last holding it. Uh, that was a great time. I mean, when I was uh, 1994, I was I guess about 18, uh, and that was a big deal. George Foreman at 45, um, regaining the heavyweight championship. Uh, it was just one of the belts. There were it was a weird time in, in heavyweight boxing. So uh, there's a lot of context surrounding that and how he ended up with that. But what it showed was that you know athletes can still do things in their 40s. And that was a big lesson to me at the start of my career, being 18 years old and a senior in high school, getting ready to play college baseball and then play, uh, you know, in highly competitive uh, amateur baseball after that. Uh, you know, it, it showed me that you could kind of prepare yourself to play for a long time. And at that time, George Foreman and Nolan Ryan in his 40s was pitching for the Texas Rangers and throwing no hitters and setting strikeout records. Uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had just wrapped up his, his career as a, um, you know, Los Angeles Laker. Uh, he was in his 40s. Pete Rose had just a few years before wrapped up his career in about 45 uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Jim Palmer tried to make a comeback at, I think, 47, 49, something like that. Uh, and he didn't make it through spring training. But it, what it showed you was that athletes still have a lot left to offer in their 40s. And if you take care of yourself, which I'm not saying Pete Rose took care of himself, but some of those other guys did. If you take care of yourself, you can still compete at a high level and you can kind of push the aging process back a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, you know, I played until I was, I guess, 46. Uh, and you know, those guys were inspirations to me at the beginning of my career. So don't, don't discount the impact that think moments like that have. I thought it was really cool that Steve Cortez posted that because I know that shaped my career thinking, Hey, I'll be able to play until my, you know, until my mid to late forties. And that became a goal. And I did that. Uh, and I did that by taking care of myself along the way, not thinking, Hey, I'm going to be washed up at 32. All right, so update on the Poncho and Lefty ballad. Ab- absolutely none of you contacted me with any insight into that. So I looked it up myself into the song, and it appears to me that it was written uh, in a very maybe maybe drug-induced, chaotic way. I don't think it's supposed to make sense, but uh, even the, the writer of it, I don't think, knows exactly what, what's going on with that song. Um, so anyway, there may not be a whole lot of sense to it. There's people that try to impose order on it and their interpretations of it, uh, but when the the writer himself has questions and is answering them as he goes, I, I think it was just a a crazy drug induced dream that got written down, uh, which would make sense for a Willie Nelson song, right? Uh, so one of the things that when I had to they had a, a uh, event that led us to led me to pick up my daughter from school the other day. And I thought, you know, I love, I love, first of all, I love picking up my daughter from school every day. I, I've, I've built my business in a way that I get to have the time to do that and go pick her up every day and talk to her on the way home. And, and, and I enjoy doing that. Uh, car lines are crazy. Any of you that have ever been in a, a school car line uh, for parent pickup, you know how crazy those can be. But I love it on a Friday afternoon when it's an indoor only pickup. And so everybody has to park and go inside and everybody gets out face to face and walks in. And, and, you, and I'm looking around at the moms going, Okay, so so this is, you know, now I get to see exactly how drunk the moms are whenever they're in the car line. Uh, but anyway, that was just me uh, making an observation. Uh, 
Uh, so, but these are the these are the drunk moms that are usually uh, in the in the line uh, getting ready to pick up the kids. Uh, it's neat neat to see them all face to face and just see you know where they're at on a Friday afternoon. Uh, okay, so speaking of entitlement, I guess uh, bicyclists uh, drives me crazy. Um, urban bicyclists who are driving down, down the road holding everybody up. Uh, it's it's kind of a entitled virtue signaling, right? It's going to slow everyone else down and make them use more gas as it takes them longer to get to where they're going to go. It, they have to line up in one line to try to get around the bicyclists, and they're going to go faster. Like, I've got to go way faster to catch up to where I should have been uh, because the bicyclists slow me down. So every urban bicyclist is a climate change force multiplier, right? They're contributing more to climate change by slowing everybody else down and forcing them to do that. I guess in their mind, it, does, it works fine. Um, anyway... I'm all for bicycling, right? I'm all for exercise. I'm all for even use, not using gas. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm all for that stuff if you want to do that. But get out of my way on the road when I'm on, in a car, okay? Like there's sidewalks. I know you're supposed to ride on the car. Ride on the sidewalk. Get out of my way. Get out of the rest of our way. Ride at non-peak times. Just jumping out in the middle of traffic that like people do. I'm going to go to work with everybody else. I'm going to block one of the four lanes and make every, force everybody else into the other lane. Uh, just seems like an incredibly entitled virtue signaling uh, and a climate change force multiplier. Uh, okay, so, and speaking of things that piss me off, I guess, I don't know, Christmas decorations in early November, right? I feel like that's Christian virtue signaling. Uh, and I live in a community where I see that all the time, right? So it's already beginning of November, day after Halloween, people put it up. Like, I won't put stuff up until after Thanksgiving. Uh, but yeah, Christmas decorations going up. And so I was talking to a neighbor yesterday and, you know, I was, he was like, are you going to put your Christmas lights up? Cause we've got some others up on, on the street. And he was like, I was thinking about putting mine up. I said, well, I'm in generally very against that, except the weather's so nice right now. And when I put them up, it's going to be all cold. So there is an argument to putting them up earlier, but that's just a, a selfish, I don't want to get cold argument. Um, I said, you know, it comes down to what my daughter wants. If my daughter wants it, I'll put them up, I'm sure. And if she doesn't want it, then I won't put it up. Um, it does still feel like Christian virtue signaling to put it up that early. Uh, now, I'm not, t- I promise you, I'm not talking about the people I know. I'm not talking about the people on my block. I know them. They're fantastic. And uh, they want to put their Christmas lights up. Hey, I like looking at the lights, right? Uh, I'm not talking about people that I know. I'm not talking about people who listen to this show that put them up early. I'm talking about people that I don't know who do this. They're the ones that piss me off, okay? The ones I know, hey, they're great. I like looking at their lights. More power to you, right? Um, it's the people I don't know when I'm driving down the road and I look at them and I'm judging them and it pisses me off uh, because I feel like they're Christian virtue signaling. But all the Christians that I know that are putting their lights up early, hey, that's awesome. Uh, I don't know when I'll put my lights up. I'll put my lights up when somebody tells me to probably. Uh, let's revisit the uh, Rich Men North of Richmond song. Uh, I was having a discussion with a um, very knowledgeable music person that was talking to me about that and it, it led me to think about a lot of things. So I wanted to kind of throw a perspective again out on that song. Uh, you know, that song is very similar. It, I think it's kind of timeless. It's a relatively timeless message, uh, right? Other than the comment about the politicians and the miners, which um, like M-I-N-O-R-S, there's a play on the words in the song. Uh, although that could be timeless too. I'm not sure. I hope, hopefully not. that one, that word, that phrase is not timeless, but I guess it could be. Uh, it, it's very similar to Travis Tritt's, uh, you know, Lord have mercy on the working man uh, song. It's very timeless and it's, uh, you know, it's connection to, um, you know, the common man, right? Um, it's it's similar to the blues where people are talking about issue, problems with that they have. Uh, there's a lot of problems that are caught with the 
you know, Richmond, North of Richmond song. Uh, and it reminds me of, you know, all the struggles that we generally have in life, right? Like, so as a business owner, there's moving target uh, as far as the rules of taxes. Uh, taxpayers have moving targets. You know, you, you build your business around um, the way that taxes are set up, and then they change them on you uh, to try to take more from you. Uh, they do that for individuals too. Um, you know, I grew up in during the oil bust here in Oklahoma, and things were pretty rough. And that song would have resonated during that time for sure. Uh, there's, you know, I remember in graduate school when there can be a lot of fairly pretentious people sometimes in graduate school that are training to be even more pretentious people sometimes. And when they would kind of make fun of college football or college football fans, I would usually jump in and say, look, you know, most of us don't have a lot in our lives. Like we, ha we don't have a lot in our lives to look forward to, right? We look forward to our family. Maybe we look forward to going to church and we look forward to college football. And that's kind of the thing that keeps us going. So don't take that away from us. Uh, don't don't poo-poo on that and, and discount that idea because I don't have a lot in my life. I've got, I'm very happy with my life. Uh, I love all the things that I have going for me in my life, but I have, you know, my family and I've got my faith and I've got sports that kind of distract me. Uh, and other than that, I mow the yard. Uh, I fix things around the house when they break. They break a lot. <laughs> uh, and I put them back together. And we're just kind of doing our best. And, you know, sports are a distraction. That's one of the reasons why during COVID, when sports became so political, uh, there was such a revolt because the core base of fans, the common folks like me and probably like you, uh, we're, we're there for a distraction. We're there to uh, enjoy something and enjoy as a fan successes and, and try to survive failures as a fan, like Bedlam this past weekend for me. Uh, you know, we try to push past those things, but those are things we look forward to all week. And then, you know, during football season, they're half of the year, you know, or a fourth of the year uh, for football season. Uh, you know, we're living week to week on this stuff and that's okay because that's how we choose to spend our time and we enjoy it. Um, yeah, I feel like the, the Richmond, North of Richmond song uh, is, is similar to that, right? It's catching, you know, the, the issues of the common man and it's less political than it would seem, right? It's not anti-Republican or anti-Democrat or anything. It's just like, hey, you know what? Screw politics, you know, being just an everyday guy trying to get by in the world kind of sucks. And it sucks for a lot of different reasons because uh, the world makes it suck for us. And that's a timeless message that you would, you see in the blues. You saw with, you know, Travis Tritt's song, like I talked about too. Uh, and I think that that will kind of last um, as an enduring message. Uh, so anyway, that might, my take on that again. Uh, so I post an article on my True Social uh, about the Trump gag order. order uh, appeals court halts gag order against Donald Trump in election interference case by Jeff Charles, November 3rd, 2023. Uh, basically, they paused the implementation of that gag order that wouldn't let them talk about uh, the judge or uh, any of the court staff and their biases, that type of thing. Uh, so that's good for Donald Trump. He was doing it anyway, and I guess they decided they were, well, it went to an appeals court uh, and it got, it got shut down. So hopefully there's more of that type of thing where they say, you know what, if you're super biased as a judge and you have super biased attorneys that are all going after this guy, he ought to be able to defend himself against you guys too in the public. Uh, another article posted on my True Social, Houston uh, FBI terrorist uh, story about the FBI. It's titled FBI Foils What Could Have Been a Horrific Terror Attack in Houston by a Radical Jordanian by Matt Vespa, November 3rd, 2023, in Town Hall. Uh, and so the, uh, the Jordanian, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and call him the radical Jordanian, like the, like the article said, uh, 
Uh, he visited gun ranges. He looked up um, bomb how to build bombs. Uh, his visa expired back in 2019. He stayed on a work authorization order, uh, and he's also applied for asylum. Uh, he's he allegedly planned to attack the Houston Jewish community, and of course the FBI caught him. Uh, and you know, so the FBI, Department of Justice, the FBI, all of those things. There's a lot of very questionable. I would say just straight up wrong things that they do, right? So entrapping people, um, you know, those type of things, uh, you know, spying on people that, that don't need to sp- be spied on, um, you know, invading privacy, those kind of things. But I will add that there are that it's it's complicated, right? Because there are good things that they do, uh, and even after nine eleven, they didn't usually get much credit for stopping some of the attacks that they did in fact stop. But then the problem is they jump out and they take credit for stopping attacks that they create, right? So then they take somebody and radicalize them and walk them to the line, push them over the edge, arrest them, and then they say they stopped a crime. When they should be talking about the actual ones that they stopped like this, where they didn't lead them along by hand, they actually caught somebody right before they were going to do something. And so uh, it's a mess. The FBI is a mess. But they do some really good things uh, mixed in with some really bad things. And so if we could just minimize and eliminate the bad stuff and just keep the good stuff, then they'd be in good shape. Uh, another article I posted on my True Social, The Weapon Israel Plans to Use in Dealing with Hamas Terror Tunnels by Matt Vespa, November 3rd, 2023, in Town Hall. And so it, it really describes their tactics they're going to use for the, the Hamas terror tunnels, where Hamas can move around under, under the tunnels and get places and, and fight from the tunnels. So they have a quick-drying chemical foam that they can launch in, into the tunnels and just seals off the tunnel wherever it's at. Um, so that's one of the things that they're going to do. The chemical is apparently highly toxic. Um, they've, I think, blinded some of their own people working with the chemical, so they have to deploy it correctly. But it will seal off the tunnels, and so they can strategically go in and just like seal off the tunnels. And, and the terrorists that are in there, I guess, just you know, they don't have a chance once they're inside the tunnel sealed off. Um, but they also have drones, but the, the drones have problems underground. I guess it's hard to control the dro- drone from above ground when you send it in underground. So it looks like the quick-drying chemical foam combined with uh, you know, a ground invasion that's underground is probably the way to go. And it's fascinating to think about them throwing up these uh, chemical foam blockades that solidify and seal off uh, the tunnel. Uh, okay, another article I posted on my True Social. American universities have a serious anti-Semitism problem. Uh, it was a, it's not an article. It's, it was a, a video by Larry O'Connor. And I guess it's a VIP video. I have a VIP subscription to Town Hall, so I didn't even know that when I, I posted it. Um, but it's interesting. It shows a lot of footage. It's from November 3rd, 2023. Uh, it shows a lot of footage of, of university protests and university harassment. Uh, of, of the Jewish community. And so it's, it's really a very sad state we have on our universities when it comes to uh, anti-Semitism. Speaking more of higher ed, uh, so talk, let's talk about some foreign money in higher education. So posted this one on my true socials by Bob Barr, November 2nd, 2023. Washington snoozes while foreign money continues to pour into colleges and universities. Uh, so China had donated more than $400 million to the U.S., uh, colleges and universities in 2019 and 2020. Think about that. So COVID, I get pre-COVID and height the COVID, right? China had donated more than $400 million to U.S. colleges and universities. A communist country that is opposed to the U.S. and is a, an enemy of the U.S. donated $400 million to the institutions that we use to influence the thoughts and the intellect of our best and brightest. 
$400 million. China had a $400 million investment in the education of our U.S. youth. So Section 17 was added to the 1965 Higher Education Act in 1986. 1986. I was 10 years old, 1986. I'm 47 now. So that's, I guess, 37 years, if I'm doing the math on the fly right, 37 years requiring colleges and universities to report foreign gifts and contracts. So for the last 37 years, all colleges and universities in the United States have been required by law to report foreign gifts and contracts. Not just some of them, all of them report all foreign gifts and contracts. From Section 17 that was added to the 1965 Higher Education Act in 1986. So in 2019, which again, I don't like to do math in front of crowds, 2019, the Department of Education finally ordered schools to report this information. So they hadn't been reporting it all that time from 1986 to 2019, which is X number of years, a lot. It's more than 20. So the Department of Education finally ordered the schools to report their foreign gifts and foreign contracts. And, you know, Betsy DeVos, uh, the Secretary of Education at the time, um, her report in October of 2020 found that 95% of colleges and universities had ignored the foreign gift reporting requirement. So they were required by law to report it, but there was no infrastructure in place, no check, no required specific report, no bureaucracy to go with it. So they just didn't do it. Now, that's crazy, right? So they just decided, well, if they, don't, if they don't have a bureaucrat that's going to make me do it in a bureaucratic way, we're just not going to do it. It doesn't count, even though it's the law. But the law would have, required, would have allowed them to report it any way they wanted to as long as they reported it. They managed to report a lot of other stuff. Uh, the Biden administration now no longer enforces this law at all. So 2020, uh, October of 2020, uh, that report that came out in 2019, they were ordered to do this. And then, of course, Trump lost the election or um, is no longer president. Um, Joe Biden is president, and the administration doesn't enforce that anymore. They, they go back to undoing anything that Trump did. So we're back to, hey, colleges and universities, you can accept as much money from China as you'd like, and you don't have to tell anybody. Seems like a good thing to write your congressional delegation about. Maybe tell them to start enforcing Section 17 of the 1965 Higher Education Act that in 1986 was added to require colleges and universities to report foreign gifts and contracts. Maybe we can get some, some idea of how much money um, and some transparency to how much money is coming from all these other countries. My guess is that Guatemala is not contributing a lot of money to higher education. So China did $400 million in two years. Um, my guess is that those are the type of places you're going to see donating a lot of money. Okay, so uh, another one that I, I posted uh, on True Social about uh, Gina Carano. So she was in uh, The Mandalorian, right? She had a character in Mandalorian. She got basically canceled by Disney because of some of her views. She, she's a conservative. Um, article is Gina Carano drops the bomb, exposes Disney's use of bots to control narratives on Twitter. By Brandon Morse, November 3rd, 2023 in Red State. So she, just, she says... She claims that Disney almost bought Twitter in 2016, and they decided they didn't want to because there were too many bots on Twitter. And then they realized they could use the bots to promote their shows and promote their interests. And so she alleges that Disney used bots to make her look bad so that they could fire her. Uh, interesting allegation. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that, see how that plays out. Speaking of AI, posted an article on my True Social. Uh, a $35,000 a year boarding school names AI bot its principal head teacher. 
The Headmaster Says It's Helping by John Michael Raish, November 3rd, 2023, Fox News. So this boarding school, it's a private boarding school, $35,000 a year for your kid to go to that school, has, has named a, an AI bot as its principal head teacher. So this AI bot is basically a resource for teachers to go to and ask, like, how do I handle a kid with ADHD? How do I do this? What do you think of the, my curriculum? What should I do here? And so, and they say it really like, they really like it. So, you know, I think that we're getting into some crazy territory if they were to um, give a salary to the AI bot, you know, like they, the, the bot has a name, they treat it like a person uh, and it's a, it's a resource. It's, it's kind of scary, right? Like I watched the Avengers was age of Ultron. I think that I watched, like, haven't we learned anything from Ultron, right? Be careful what you give AI. Um, anyway, so fascinating. Uh, it's, it, it could be a good use of it, right? It, it, the way that it's rolled out is like this AI bot is taking the role of a person and acting like a person. That's what makes it uncomfortable. But if you think about it as something like Google or something that you're just checking with as a resource for somebody, um, then suddenly it's not so sinister. But if you watch Ultron, uh, then, then it seems really scary. So transitioning from that to more AI, because this is kind of the topic of the day. Uh, we'll talk about AI decision-making. And so this was a Chicago Booth Review um, podcast um, called Three Ways AI Can Improve Decision-Making from November 1st, 2023. And so it outlines several different sets of studies on how AI can help decision-making in investing. And so this is our main topic for today. So one of the things that investors do is they can use machine learning models to improve how they can, they can allocate their funds. Uh, how they want to do that. So we're going to talk about three different methods that they describe in here and the research that goes with it uh, on how you can use AI to improve your decision-making in that realm of investing. So first method, you can use ChatGPT to streamline corporate filings. So the researchers that they looked at for this research, Kim, Munn, and Nikolaev, uh, and remember, there at least one researcher in all of these studies is going to be linked to the Chicago Booth, Review, or Chicago Booth School. Um, which is why at the University of Chicago, um, that's why it's in published in the Booth Review. So those research used ChatGPT to write corporate filings, and they found that it, it better conveyed essential information for investors. So they asked the the uh, um, ChatGPT to go in and take existing corporate filings and rewrite them. And so specifically, they had MD&A disclosures and earnings conference calls. They used all public U.S. companies from 2009 to 2020. That was 1,790 MDNAs, 340 companies, and then 8,900 conference calls from 370 companies. Uh, they used Turbo 3.5 ChatGPT to write these um, descriptions, and they found that the new, new reports better predicted stock price over the two days after the reports were released. So then they were able to use the new reports they wrote and go back in time, look at the stock price fluctuations, and see if it could predict that or not. Uh, and it did a better job than the actual reports. So they found uh, what they call bloat is where they add extra stuff that doesn't need to be in there, right? So every company wants to put their spin on the reports. They want to spin it to minimize damage if it's negative information. And if you're having a, a bad conference call, bad earnings, they want to put a spin on it. So when they do that, they call that bloat. Um, they found that bloat led to a 9% decrease in the speed of price discovery and an 18% increase in the bid-ask spread. And so that's how much, you know, the bid-ask spread is how much of a difference there really is between what the seller and the buyer want to spend on it. 
or want for it. So a higher spread means it's more expensive to trade. So think, go back that again. So bloat, having that extra information in there, uh, had led to an 18% increase in the bid-ask spread, meaning that the spread was higher, there was more uncertainty, it was more expensive to trade. Uh, one standard deviation uh, increased. Uh, one standard deviation increase in the bloat led to a 45% increase in the bid-ask spread. That means that one standard deviation in adding extra BS to the report led to a 45% increase in the bid-ask spread. So currently, ChatGPT can help investors sift through reporting information with and find the essential components. So basically, if you are an investor, you could take ChatGPT and ask it to take the earnings call and go back through and rewrite it. And when it, it rewrites it, you'll get a better version of it. You'll get a more streamlined, less fluffed up version of it, which will give you the real information that you need uh, to make your investment decision. Uh, second method, method by Zhang, Kelly, and Zhu found um, pattern recognition uh, can identify patterns in stock price charts and inform trading strategies. It's the same technology that they use for self-driving cars to recognize patterns and make responses. So you can use the past price and momentum uh, to create profitable strategies for short-term transactions. So as the quarters add up in the future, reporting has more influence. So what that means is that uh, the farther out you get removed in time, right? So the more quarters that there are between you and the time you're trying to predict, the more that the reporting that exists uh, has influence, which tells you that the more bloat there is from the past study, uh, the past method we just talked about and the past studies we have, that plays more of a role over time. Uh, but this method, at looking at pattern recognition, uses a convolutional neural network, which is abbreviated CNN, uh, the conv convolutional neural network method. Uh, and it, what's fascinating about it is it can use U.S.-based market data to make predictions in new foreign markets that have a short track record. So you can teach it to read the markets that exist and then figure out the differences between that and a new market that doesn't have much of a track record and be able to accurately predict in that new market. And that's, that's fascinating right there. Um, that's something that's, that's lost on most prediction models. A uh, third method you can use. Uh, you can use AI to improve decision-making and investing in startups. So when startups give money, uh, what are they giving money for? Uh, are they giving money for a track record of the, of the person that's invest of the, uh, the, the person who's leading the company? Or are they giving it based on earnings and hard numbers? Like, what are they doing? And so this used Davenport's research, and it looked at all companies in top 100 startup incubators from 2009 to 2016. And so they created a data set of all venture-backed capital or venture-backed companies, uh, 16,054 of these companies. Uh, in the first five years of leaving an incubator or accelerator program. And then they tracked uh, their valuation, their IPOs, their mergers and acquisitions, uh, Series C or later funding. Uh, the later the series of funding, kind of the farther in you are as a company. Uh, and then this covered $9 billion worth of investments that were represented here in the data set. And they found that the founders' backgrounds were an important factor in investing. So... Uh, where the founder went to school, uh, how many board seats they had held previously. Uh, and this was even more of an important factor for low-quality startups, meaning that investors were more likely to invest in somebody that they thought was went to the right school and had experience in previous board seats, uh, even though the, the, the startup may not be a great idea and it may not be um, a high-quality company. So the algorithms don't fall for this. Right, so the AI algorithms don't fall for that. They don't fall for the. Uh, they don't. They're going to make suggestions that don't take the founder's background into account. Um, 
investors can use AI to, to sift down to the facts. Uh, and this will have benefits for the invest, investors' limited partners like clients or university endowments or retirement pensions. Um, all of those would benefit from having um, better investment decisions that were made, um, not heavily weighing the founder's background uh, into the equation. So and, uh, more examples of how AI can help us streamline this. And I'll talk more about this in my, in my uh, closing thoughts. All right, now to the Patriot brain line. Uh, David from Kansas City. That's very interesting stuff to say here. David says, I hope OSU MAFOs, if you remember, monkey around and find out. Hope OSU uh, MAFOs today. This was sent on Bedlam Day. And OU shows they are better than I saw them play at KU last weekend. You need more random thoughts in your intros. I find them very relatable, and maybe others do too. Uh, well, thank you. I, I have lots of random thoughts. And then David gives an example here. Uh, he says, example, why do men have nipples? Well, David, uh, nipples are a basic mammalian feature. Uh, nature, also, in developmentally, nature defaults to a female. So nature will build a female in the absence of, of the right type of um, hormone uh, exposure at the right times. So because nature defaults to, defaults to female... Uh, you know, chromosomes order androgens at the right time of fetal development to help the, uh, the body develop into a male. But if any of those don't happen at the right times, the body will develop into a female, even though someone might be chromosomally uh, a male. So nipples are always going to be there. Uh, another way we can look at it from a religious standpoint, and, uh, you know, God created man in his own image. And since we have a sense of humor, God must also have a sense of humor. By that logic also, though, apparently God has nipples, I guess. Uh, Okay, so but David has more on this, and he says also, if you stay out of Ben from Kansas City's tanning bed, the doors at Brahms might open for you, and you can wash your hands anywhere. Fellow Patriot Brainline trash has officially been talked, and so that's hilarious. I love that. Uh, this is the first instance we have of a Patriot Brainline listener going after another Patriot Brainline listener on the Patriot Brainline, uh, and so I, I love it. And it was very, it, it made me laugh too. It was a very insightful comment. Thank you, David from Kansas City. Uh, Kurt from Central Oklahoma uh, sent me an article uh, that's called uh, This Racist Soap Dispenser at Facebook Office Does Not Work for Black People on, U on YouTube, August 18th, 2017. Uh, and it basically shows the same thing that I was talking about. And they, they went in at Facebook and, and they were showing a white person's hands and they would, the, the, the dispenser would work and a black person's hands and they wouldn't work, uh, which goes with uh, some of what I talked about in the last podcast. And some of what Dayton, uh, David was referring to in um, the last Patriot Brainline question just now. Uh, thank you, Kurt, for sending that video. Also, Kurt sent uh, a, a really, here's your feel-good article for the day. It's Texas elementary school students donate allowances and raise money to help classmates see, classmates see in color by Cassandra McDonald, Gateway Pundit, November 4th, 2023. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this much. Uh, you can go to my new locals account and check it out. I posted on locals. It's uh, fifth graders that um, used their paid their allowance money and and spent their money to buy um, glasses so that their colorblind classmate could see colors for the first time. And, and and there are two different sets of glasses, one for indoors and one for outdoors. So it's a good it's a good story. You ought to go check it out. It's on my locals account. If you go to locals.com, you can go find our. Uh, I guess it's a good time to talk about it. Uh, locals.com. Uh, there's a lot of conservatives that are on there. It was Dave Rubin's platform that he created. And I was on there several years ago as a person just looking at some of my friends like Larry O'Connor and Kurt Schlichter and looking at their content. Uh, it's, it's built as a kind of a subscriber um, 
paywall platform, but not exactly. Like you can post stuff on there that people can like. They just can't comment or see other people's comments unless there's a paywall. And so this was brought to me as an idea by by a listener who um, I'm now aware of the fact that there's a lot of you listeners out there that have you know careers and jobs and things that you don't want to lose by talking about some of this stuff publicly. And so you use pseudonyms online, but you want to engage in conversation, but you don't want, um, you know, you want to engage in these Patriot brain line type conversations, but you don't want to draw attention to yourself uh, in ways that don't work. So uh, you can, so I, it was brought to my attention that actually a lot of people, there are a, a, a number of listeners that would prefer to engage behind a paywall. Uh, and so I have not built a paywall on it yet. Um, I would always just post things, but it would, the paywall part would allow people to comment with each other. So we'll see if we start getting some followers on locals. Uh, and if we do, then I'll create that paywall component to it. I'll still post other stuff on true social. I'll still do, you know, the, the podcast, everything else will be the same. Uh, it will just create a forum for those people who want there to be a buy-in before they talk and uh, for there to be a small buy-in so that they essentially don't get harassed. Their stuff doesn't pop up in any searches of feeds. Uh, and uh, I know that some other people have had really good um, on locals.com have had really good success with uh, listener engagement and allowing people to have, um, you know, kind of their preferred platform to engage on. So I'm typically against paywalls and things like that. Um, but if, if there are people that want to talk only behind a paywall, uh, then maybe we need to try that out. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, again, I haven't built the paywall, but you can go check out locals.com. I'm posting just stuff on there for people to see. I think the paywall would just be about, um, if there, if we put one up, if there's any interest in it, um, beyond the interest that's been expressed already, um, that would just be for, to allow people to comment back and forth with each other and with me, um, in kind of a more hidden format. Uh, but thank you, Kurt, for posting the, uh, or sending me the Texas elementary school article. Uh, another listener, Jake from East Texas says, it's been really great to hear about the growth of the show. It's always a highlight to hear from you twice a week. I liked your show from the beginning, but I think your recent episodes are getting even better. Uh, thank you, Jake. I appreciate the feedback, and I, I love that you love the show. Uh, this show is good because of the listeners and because you all send me stuff and you all engage on the Patriot Brain Line, and uh, I, I really I really enjoy that. Uh, Patriot Brain Line, you can voice message me through Spotify for Podcasters. You can engage, engage with the show through Truth Social and Locals or email me at the email address listed on my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software, writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting My Patriot Brain with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for Podcasters page or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. Thank you for listening. We're strong together. And now it's time for my closing thoughts. As we have discussed before, artificial intelligence is not inherently good or evil. It has a tremendous potential for good or bad just like the internet did three decades ago. Here we see that maybe you don't want your AI to draw a salary and lead your school, but advising teachers isn't necessarily bad. It's how you frame it. It's the same with investing. We want people, we want the people, the real humans making investment decisions on our behalf with the best information possible. But I've got news for you. It's been automated for years. Read the book Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. High-speed computers have been, trading have been making trading moves for decades. What we discussed here is how AI can be the great equalizer for the common folks like you and me to invest on equal footing. Till I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow me on True Social, Locals, and Rumble. 
Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. And I will talk to you Thursday.